What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and when it comes to free agency this offseason, it has felt like a game of double dutch where I am just waiting for my time to finally jump in, right? I'm about to jump in. DJ Moore gets traded, and then the Panthers get the first overall pick, and then we have the Aaron Rodgers trade, and I'm like, okay, I'll make a video now. And then it's like, oh, Elijah Moore just got traded. And then we have Damian Harris getting signed, and we have all of these people changing, you know, musical chairs, madness happening across the board. I decided, you know what, after the Elijah Moore deal yesterday, we're jumping in here. I am praying to God that no blockbuster transaction happens between the time that I pressed record and the time that I hit upload. So let's get straight into this. We're going to go through essentially, it's going to kind of be like a top 10 takeaways video, but I am just going to go through my reactions, my thoughts when it comes to fantasy, dynasty, all of that with pretty much all of the biggest free agent signings and the big trades, just to kind of give you my thoughts on everything that has transpired since free agency began. So with that being said, if you enjoy this video at any point, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. Thirsty, thirsty, trying to choose. I mean, I know I'm by the way, that intro, it, it's going to change soon, okay? I'm, I got it in the works. I got to get videos out to you guys. We'll fix the cosmetic stuff. We changed the profile picture. The intro is going to get changed probably in the next couple weeks, okay? So just bear with me, fellas. Now, the first thing we'll talk through is my dear Jets decided to ship off Elijah Moore yesterday. The official deal is the Jets get the 42nd overall pick and the Browns get Elijah Moore and the 74th overall pick. So essentially, Elijah Moore in a third for a second. Old trade value charts will tell you that that's like the equivalent of a third. I think newer ones will say that's like equivalent of a fifth. I think it's probably fine on the Jets' end from like a real fantasy football perspective. My guess is, is when it comes to Elijah Moore, my thoughts were, in terms of the Jets, that he would either stay or he'd be a part of the Aaron Rodgers package. And now that I think about it, the Aaron Rodgers package doesn't make any sense because LaFleur was our offensive coordinator. He's not anymore. Of course, we have Hackett now. But LaFleur was the offensive coordinator that Elijah Moore pretty much told, you know, go fuck yourself, whatever. Stormed out on the team, just cursed everybody out, went absolutely insane. And Zach Wilson was throwing him the ball, but there's probably better ways to handle that. And his brother is the head coach over at the Packers, Matt LaFleur. I always get Matt and Mike uh, flipped around, so it might even be Mike LaFleur. It's one of the LaFleurs. He's the head coach. Once I get Matt and Mike in my head, they're interchangeable at that point, but it makes sense. You know, the Packers wouldn't want to take on Elijah Moore, so instead we get draft capital. My idea here is that we are only trying to get that 42nd pick or the 43rd pick, whatever pick we got from the Packers, in a deal for Rodgers. Now, when we talk about, from a fantasy football perspective, Elijah Moore on the Browns. I think that it's an overall positive for most of the pieces on the Browns. And Elijah Moore, for me, is someone who is extremely hard to quit on. This is a guy who, yes, he had the awful second year, but if we look at his prospect profile, his year one profile, he was an elite prospect. He was the wide receiver 28 in points per game as a rookie with Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco at quarterback. And when we look here, these are his year one comps in my database. I just sort of filter for PFF receiving grade, yards per out run, targets per out run, points per game. Everybody here has hit a top 24 season, even on the lowest of low end. I think he's somewhere between, you know, Jarvis Landry, Marquise Brown as like these tiny guys who play above their size. Jarvis Landry out of the slot, Marquise Brown a little bit more on the perimeter. But I think instead of, you know, Jarvis Landry has a top five finish, a top 12 finish. I think Elijah Moore, to me, is probably a guy at this point who is a little bit Tyler Boydish, where I think that he is just on pace, where he's just going to have, you know, one to three, like, top 24 finishes in his career. I don't see a massive upside. So I think when we talk about Elijah Moore, and we're going to, it's going to be tough. We're going to sort of be switching around between Dynasty and Redraft in this video. In redraft, you can get him like almost free. Maybe this Browns move jumped up his price on underdog, but I was drafting him in like the pick like 120 area uh, before this trade. But when we talk about him in dynasty, that's where it gets a little bit tough for me because he's essentially a perennial wide receiver two at best, right? We're looking at this chart 
maybe you want to talk yourself into him being Jarvis Landry and he gives you a top 12 or a top five finish. In my eyes, I think that that ship has sailed. I think that this is just a guy who is going to, you know, he commands targets. He has his role in the slot. But unless if you're seeing like a late career, like Cooper Cup type bloom here, I don't really know how we can reasonably project him for more than like a wide receiver two ceiling. And that's why it's tough because he, if he doesn't finish higher than wide receiver two, uh, top 24 season, he can't really increase his dynasty value by much. Well, he's probably like around like a 10th rounder now. I don't know that he can ever actually sneak into like a top five round pick in dynasty. So there's not a lot of room to improve there. And these type of assets, right, just like these, you have this just massive tier of wide receiver twos from like, you can go all the way from like the Chris Godwins, Terry McLaurins of the world. Of course, those guys are more top 15-ish all the way through Keenan Allen, Calvin Ridley, Mike Williams, Michael Thomas, Tyler Lockett, Brandon Cooks, that massive tier. There's not a lot separating those guys for me. So instead of, in my eyes, instead of paying up for the younger assets in that asset tier, I would rather just get the cheapest guys that can produce something. So with Elijah Moore, I have a ton of him. I will probably just hold him in a lot of places, but if somebody is dying to trade for him, I know that some people really want to buy him. I would cash out for an early second. I would also love to use him. If I could use him, if I could do like Elijah Moore in a second, let's say like a, a team that's like trying to rebuild or something in your league has a Devontae Adams, a Cooper Cup. There's a world out there where Elijah Moore in a second gets you into the Devontae Adams or Cooper Cup conversation. I think you could do something similar for like a Debo. If you want to tear down even further than that, I don't know that I would do Elijah Moore in a second straight up for these guys, but like Calvin Ridley, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Tyler Lockett, Brandon Cooks, Michael Thomas, all of those guys. I just think that they have a better chance of giving you meaningful production, and you can probably squeeze out some youth from a guy who wants Elijah Moore. So you could do something like, I put up a Twitter poll and it was about 50-50. If I'm a team that is competing right now, I would love to ship off Elijah Moore in a third for Tyler Lockett in a second. You get a, let's say a 24 second, you can draft the next Elijah Moore next year, and you can get a guy in Tyler Lockett who is almost a surefire bet to outscore Elijah Moore in 2023. So I think that those are the kind of moves I would be doing. Elijah Moore, those types of wide receivers, they're not needle movers for me. I am never like approaching somebody with the objective of buying an Elijah Moore in Dynasty, if that makes sense. Maybe if he's on the back end of the deal, like maybe I wouldn't be opposed to taking him on, but you get what I'm saying? Like I, I don't see the utility. Like if you're a rebuilding team, again, I don't think there's a ton of room for value gain. Yes, he's heading into year three, but he's tarnished things so bad at this point. I, I don't know that there's a crazy return on investment. And I don't think he's going to give you a huge return on investment in terms of scoring points. So he's a tough asset for me to really be crazy about wanting to buy in dynasty now i'm not saying go out there and sell him for anything i'm saying an early second or if you could do you know replace his production and get a second as juice on top maybe you give your own third now when we talk about the rest of the browns offense i don't really believe in the whole role thing i think some people are going to say you know deshaun watson has never fed a slot wide receiver right he's had those big hulking wide receivers like deandre hopkins you've had more of the finesse route runners like Amari Cooper and Brandon Cooks do well with Deshaun Watson I wouldn't really count it. Amari Cooper last year was almost better with Jacoby Brissett uh in some ways but I think with Deshaun Watson if the passing offense is good if he actually bounces back from last year then you are going to get a bounce back regardless across the board which is actually good for Elijah Moore and I like that I like this passing offense even more where we have Amari Cooper and Joku Elijah Moore now Donovan Peoples-Jones is a nice stretch uh, receiver on the outside there's a lot to like here and I think this is a really interesting blurb from Matthew Barry uh, of course you guys know who that is but he has a really cool article he does every year or I don't know if he does it every year but he did it this year he went to the combine and he kind of talks through the main storylines that he has been hearing around Indianapolis and he talks through here he says Cleveland's offense is going to be really interesting next year look for the Browns to add a speed wide receiver this offseason to go with Amari Cooper I guess you could consider Elijah Moore that he runs. I think I think he ran in the four threes, four fours. One source told me they are really going to open up the offense, go five wide, pass a lot. This is going to be Deshaun Watson's offense, not Nick Chubb. They will pass a lot more than folks expect. I think that this move would kind of suggest that. Uh, I was told to go look at the Brown Steelers game from week 18. In that game, the opening kickoff temperature was in the 30s. Uh, over under 39 and a half. People expected a low scoring game. And they threw it 29 times while Nick Chubb ran it 12 times and a 28 to 14 loss to the Browns. Yes, they're down. My source said that it will be much closer to the norm for Cleveland next year. 
tons of passing attempts for Watson. All of that is really, really nice for the passing game. And I love betting on this Browns offense. I don't love betting on them, but I, I like betting on them in the same way that we bet on the Eagles passing offense last year, where they've been a run heavy offense for a while. You have a quarterback that has a lot of room to improve on what he did last season. And you have moves like this where we're bringing in Elijah Moore, we're letting Dearness Johnson walk, we're letting Kareem Hunt walk. These aren't moves from a team. I think that there's still more to go. These aren't moves from a team that want to establish the run. I think at this point, Kevin Stefanski has spent all this time in Cleveland. I think he's looking around the league. It's a passing league. He's a sharp guy. I think that he's sort of knowing at this point, let's kind of tweak things a little bit. Let's slant towards the pass a little bit more. Now, I also think Donald Peoples-Jones gets affected by this, right? They bring in uh, Elijah Moore. I don't think it's a massive, massive negative for Donald Peoples-Jones. Like He'll still probably be out there on, on three wide receiver sets, maybe even two wide receiver sets of Elijah Moore solely a slot. But I don't really understand all the craze about Donald Peoples-Jones. It's very clear that he is just going to be a role player, kind of like a Marquez Valdez-Scantling outside field stretcher. I think the idea that, you know, he could be super, super relevant in fantasy, I don't love it. Like, there's some guys who go head over heels for Donovan Peoples-Jones. The Browns made it clear that they don't want him to be a focal point. They have spent day two draft picks on Anthony Schwartz, David Bell in back-to-back drafts, and now they are spending a second rounder of course, they get back a third on Elijah Moore. They are investing in the wide receiver position almost in spite of Donovan Peoples-Jones. To me, he is just NFL field stretcher, really nothing more than that in terms of fantasy. He doesn't really command a ton of targets. He's not really all that special to me. Now, on the other side of this, we have the Jets sending away Elijah Moore. We have them signing McCole Hardman. We have them signing Alan Lazard, getting uh, Aaron Rodgers' buddy to come with him here. And if we look at this objectively, going from Elijah Moore and Corey Davis, I think Corey Davis is probably going to get cut or he's going to get sent in that Green Bay deal. But it's a it's a for sure a downgrade. For sure, you know, going from Elijah Moore and Corey Davis to McCole Hardman and Alan Lazard is a downgrade. I don't think in terms of Lazard and McCole, though, like you can say those wide receivers are gone and you can be like, oh, well, the targets are going to go somewhere. To me, I don't think really much has changed for either. Uh, McCole Hardman goes from catching passes from Patrick Mahomes to Aaron Rodgers, so a slight downgrade. There's probably going to be a lot less volume uh, in this Jets attack than there was for the Chiefs. He's a speedy wide receiver four, jet sweep guy, whatever. I think he's just the same thing he's always been. You know, in deep leagues, maybe he's fine in, like, best ball and stuff. I don't think that there's really anything to gain here. And Lazar will probably be exactly what he, what he was in Green Bay, right, where he is going to give you some nice games here and there, be kind of like a wide receiver three type. And that should be that. Now, I do think that the interesting part is that the wide receiver room right now is Garrett Wilson, Alan Lazard, McCole Hardman. Like I said, I think Corey Davis is gone. So we have a couple of things happening here where if the receiver room stays exactly as it is right now, we're very likely to see a very balanced attack that leans towards rushing, Brees Hall, whatever upgrades we make to the offensive line, similar to how Hackett and Aaron Rodgers were like in Green Bay, where if you look at their past run splits, they weren't a really pass-heavy team. It was really more just Aaron Rodgers being monster efficient with his touchdown percentage, his low uh, interception percentage, and just being really good within those passing plays. So we could see that happening where we see Brees Hall getting a huge workload and then also concentrating a lot of targets towards Garrett Wilson within that efficient but low-volume passing offense, which would be really interesting. I love Garrett Wilson in this receiver room at this point with Elijah Moore gone. Not that it really mattered, but just overall with the Aaron Rodgers move, like I haven't really spoken on Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, but Nathaniel Hackett, for as bad as it was in Denver, he's pretty creative on the goal line when he had Devontae Adams. Like, he almost used Devontae Adams not as a goal line back, but especially before, like, A.J. Dillon was really in the fold. He would have Devontae Adams go in motion and do, like, these fake whip routes and, you know, go all over the formation, win at the line of scrimmage, something that Garrett Wilson can do. If you go back and watch Garrett Wilson on the goal line, he's insane. He had, like, a one-on-one. It might have been against Denzel Ward, but it was probably against, like, Greedy Williams or somebody else on that Browns team uh, with the Joe Flacco comeback. Just absolutely, like create space in a telephone booth against that corner uh, for one of the touchdowns that Flacco threw him. You saw all the time at Ohio State. He is very, very slippery on the goal line. I think Hackett's going to kind of utilize that, use him in the same way, use him in motion on the goal line. So that's really exciting. I think that Garrett Wilson's ceiling is as high as it has ever been 
with Rodgers, with Hackett, if we assume that they sort of use him in that similar way. Now, the last part to keep in mind is I didn't have the Jets adding to this wide receiver room past McCole Hardman yesterday, but with Elijah Moore gone, Corey Davis likely gone, I think that they're now in the market. I think we could see Jackson Smith and the Jigba at 13, which would be amazing, where we have Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and the Jigba, we have Alan Lazard, we have Aaron Rodgers in that passing offense. I think that'd be really fun. It wouldn't shock me either if, let's say, they go offensive line at 13th and they trade one of those seconds for Aaron Rodgers and that 43rd pick becomes like Josh Downs, who is a carbon copy of Elijah Moore, slot who plays bigger than his size, really nice analytical profile. There's a lot of OBJ rumors. It could be Odo Beckham that they could go get. Uh, and if they don't address it, I think that they probably get Randall Cobb. He plays slot. And then we see McCole Harden move to like wide receiver four. So there's a lot happening here. I think that there is probably one more move at wide receiver for this Jets team. Now, we're just going to start after all the Jets stuff, after the Elijah Moore stuff. Now we're just going to start covering everything else. And you guys might want to strap in here. Like I have, like we're only, I think we're only like two or three pages in. I got like 11 pages of notes, fellas. So we are covering everything today. The next thing I wanted to talk about was the Brandon Cooks trade. And I absolutely love this deal. Dallas gives up like almost similar to what they uh, sold Amari Cooper for. They give up a fifth and a sixth. They get Brandon Cooks. And Dallas clearly needed a, a third wide receiver. Michael Gallup wasn't great last year off the ACL. They were rolling out guys like T.Y. Hilton and Noah Brown. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other kid as well. Like I think the other guy was like Dennis Houston. They were running out there for a little bit. It was ugly. Like They were going deep into their wide receiver room to just field three wide receiver sets and find something that was constant. And I think Brandon Cooks coming in is perfect. And he is really cheap right now, Brandon Cooks. He's like in the wide receiver 50s on keep trade cut. Now, we're going to reference keep trade cut a decent bit here. It's not a perfect you know, resource, but it's one of the better ones that we have in terms of it reacting quickly to stuff like free agency. Like ADP is not going to reflect a lot of this stuff. And with Brandon Cooks, it's interesting because I think everybody's down on him because last year he didn't produce, but he was also in a offense quarterbacked by Davis Mills, Kyle Allen, and Jeff Driscoll. Awful offense. And he like almost gave up, which I can't really blame him. Like he, he demanded a trade. He wanted to be gone. They wouldn't move him. And this was a tanking team, bad quarterback play. Like he didn't really want to be out there. Like there were times where I think that he was, I wouldn't call it a healthy scratch, but I think that he just like sat out a couple games. But on a per route basis, He's still good. Uh, maybe, like, I think I think good is the right word. Like, he's not elite, but he's fine, right? He's fine in the same way that Tyler Lockett is fine or was fine before, like, the Geno resurgence or whatever. And this is what sticks out to me. Last year, Brandon Cooks and Tyler Lockett, from a peripheral perspective, were very similar. Targets per run both right around 20%, ADOT right around that 11-yard spot. The difference is that Tyler Lockett had Geno Smith, who was playing out of his mind last year, and Brandon Cooks had nothing at quarterback so we get him in a spot here where he goes to Dallas Dak Prescott is there whatever you think about Dak Prescott yes he led the league in interceptions but he's also one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL I believe that they were fourth uh in points per game as an offense last year there's going to be a lot more scoring a lot more yards a lot more efficiency here so we can expect that yards per run to go from 46 to you know like a top 30-ish type number that points per game is going to come up he narrowly missed out on being a wide receiver three last year he gets injected into a way better spot there's a decent chance that he's actually out there in wide receiver in two wide receiver sets instead of michael gallup i believe that they'll probably fight for that and i think you have a really good spot here where he could rebound in a same way to a Tyler Lockett, where Tyler Lockett was like a, you know, he was wide receiver 16 last year, you're seeing in points per game. It wouldn't shock me at all if Brandon Cooks is a top 24 wide receiver next year. Again, these wide receiver two parts, I, maybe I would go, you know, knocking on people's doors and seeing if you can slide a third for Brandon Cooks, but I also like him just in the back end of a deal. If you can just put him in the back end of a deal, you know, you're wheeling and dealing, wheeling and dealing, and you're like, I don't want to sell for this price. I want one more piece on top in your contender. Put Brandon Cooks on top. I think he's a great throw-in for contenders. When you have buys and injuries, you can slot him right into the flex. You're playing, you know, like three flex leagues a lot of the times. He will be somebody you can start next year. So very maybe very excited is probably the wrong word for a guy who's in the wide receiver 50s, but I like Brandon Cooks a lot. I think that he was also going last year, like probably in the top 40 wide receiver range in like redraft and dynasty. So you're still getting a discount. His price hasn't really changed since he... Uh, got traded to Dallas. So I think that he's actually a really nice little target here. After that, we have, so 
Dallas. On the other side of that, we have Dalton Schultz going to the Texans. Devin Singletary goes with him as well here. And I don't know, man. <laughs> like, this is uh, kind of that meme where they're having, like, a, a mid-off. Like, it's it's not great for the Texans, uh, but it's something, you know? It's something to uh, sort of fill the void that Cooks is leaving here. For Schultz in particular, like, I, I don't like it for – I think for the Texans' offense, it's probably a fine move, right? Like, they needed to add playmakers in some way. Like, these aren't the best playmakers, but they're something. But when we talk about for each player, Dalton Schultz – if he was back in Dallas, you could maybe talk yourself into meaningful production here, right? This is the fourth best scoring offense with Dak. But he goes from that to the 31st scoring offense with a rookie quarterback. We don't know if it's going to be Bryce Young, Stroud. It could be Richardson. could be Levis. We truly don't know. So that's going to be absolutely brutal, especially for Schultz, who has been a guy that has really just benefited from the offense that he's played in. This is not a guy who is a target hog. He was 10th in target share last year, 13th in target share the year before. He is simply a beneficiary of a good offense with a thin target tree, right? Where it is CeeDee Lamb. And then after that, it was pretty much Dalton Schultz. Michael Gallup was not that great last year. And you now have him implanted into a way worse offense. So the efficiency should fall off. I don't really think he's going to be a difference-making tight end. The issue is that his value is already kind of tanked from this move, but... It's tough. He's a very met asset. Like maybe you just hold on to him. I don't mind the idea of like trading down from Dalton Schultz to like a Jawan Johnson or Tyler Higby. Like I know that those are ugly names, but if you can trade down to one of those guys and net like a second in return, I think I'd be into it. Like if I could do a 24 second and like Tyler Higby, I think you could honestly probably get more than that in tight end premium. But you guys get what I'm saying. I I think I would tear down. Dalton Schultz to me is just, it's really ugly. And I've been, I've been screaming at the top of my lungs to sell him. Maybe I was a year early, but the minute he's not on Dallas, it gets pretty ugly. And then Devin Singletary is kind of the same thing where he's never been all that talented. He's just been sort of propped up by a good offense, getting volume. And now he's going to be behind Damian Pierce on a bad offense. He's no longer really a zero RB candidate that I like. He's not really a RB that I'd like to roster anyway. He doesn't really catch a ton of passes. He's not super, super efficient between the tackles. He's kind of slow. He's kind of undersized. I'm not the biggest Damian Pierce guy, but I wouldn't look at this Devin Singletary signing and like start to panic. Like I don't have him anywhere in Dynasty, but I wouldn't be like, oh my God, like, it, it's over. I don't mind it because I think that there's better replacements out there. Like, you know, there's the Rashad Pennies of the world, the Damian Harris's of the world, the Deonta Foreman's just in terms of like pure rushers or... I also think that now that they get Devin Singletary, they're less likely to draft a guy on like day two to replace Damian Pierce. So I almost think that he, I wouldn't call it a clear plus, but he's almost a nice shield for Damian Pierce. So I think they're less likely to bring in better competition over the top, if that makes sense. I think if anything, they probably bring in like a pass catching specialist, like a, like it wouldn't shock me at all if they signed like a JD McKissick off waivers, uh, something among those lines. But again, I wouldn't panic on Damian Pierce. I'm not buying him. I'm not selling him. If you have him, I guess like he's fine. Uh, but I wouldn't panic. Uh, after that, we have Darren Waller to the Giants. Man, we're 23 minutes deep. We're not even really halfway here, fellas. But it's all good. This is what you guys sign up for. We're going deep here. Uh, we have Darren Waller traded to the Giants. This one is really fun. Um, we'll talk about all the other moves that the, the Giants have been making too. But they send a third-round pick. They get Darren Waller. Something a third, it, that's big boy draft capital. We just saw Der, uh, we just saw Brandon Cooks go for like a fifth and a sixth. We saw Jalen Ramsey go for like some day three picks. I believe Darren Waller has paid decently well for a tight end. So this is a really big investment, right? I think a third probably could have gotten them DeAndre Hopkins. I, or it it would have been, they, they wouldn't have had to add much to a third to get DeAndre Hopkins, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we see DeAndre Hopkins go for like a second and, and a third or something. Uh, regardless... I trust Dable with my life when it comes to offense. We talked about this last year uh, with the Giants. We trusted him with Saquon. We trusted him with Daniel Jones. We trusted him with that whole offense. He knows what he's doing. If he buys a player, he will use him. And I think that the front office with the Giants is pretty damn sharp. And I think that they're sort of viewing this like the Chiefs view Kelsey. One of the biggest edges, I think right now from a real football perspective, is the elite tight end. Travis Kelsey, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but he is paid significantly less than your Devontae Adams, whatever Justin Jefferson's about to get, whatever A.J. Brown is getting, Tyree Kill, all of those guys. He's very comfortably like outside of the top five to ten wide receivers. And you could make the case that he's just impact, just as impactful to the Chiefs' wins as those top wide receivers. So you can actually 
get a similar impact in your passing game for much, much less. And a guy like Darren Waller is so old at this point, you don't have to worry about that next contract or anything. So I think it's absolutely perfect for their offense. I don't want to hear anything about, you know, they will never really future Dawson Knox or anything like that. Or, you know, last year, Daniel Bellinger wasn't amazing. We don't, like, chase roles within certain schemes. Rob Gronkowski didn't retire, and then all of a sudden, who did they have? Devin Asiasi and, you know, Dalton Keene on the Patriots didn't become fantasy relevant. There's really very, very few spots where there's such thing as roles, right? Clyde Edwards-Lawyer is going to be the next Kareem Hunt or the next uh, Brian Westbrook for Andy Reid. Very rarely are those kinds of narratives actually real. Darren Waller is a good player. The Giants paid a lot for him. They're going to use him all over the formation. I, I, I would guess that he leads the team in targets. For me, I am very excited about him. And I think when we talk about uh, Darren Waller as well, he's in a spot where I think I kind of like him as a small buy in dynasty, like tight end premium leagues. I think you could probably get him for decently cheap. Like maybe he's hanging around on a team that's not really trying to compete this year and you can go out there and maybe buy him for cheap, like a second. I saw him. He's still like outside the top eight tight ends and keep trade cut or whatever. So I don't mind him as a buy, but I will say with a lot of these guys who sort of got a free agency bump, I think that there is some merit to waiting for like the free agency craze to die down. You know what I mean? Like Darren Waller probably only gets cheaper between now and like rookie draft season. So maybe some of the guys I'm telling you to buy, maybe I think the longer you wait, probably the better uh, at this point. Now we'll also talk about, you know, it's not great for Daniel Bellinger, the incumbent tight end that was there. He was like decent last year. He had a couple spots. Regardless, though, I'm not sure that he was ever going to be all that relevant. Day three tight end anyways. I would still keep him rostered. You know, tight ends, they're late bloomers a lot of the time. Darren Waller through his first three years wasn't anything, although it was, you know, off the field stuff. I think he's still worth a roster spot. But, yeah, Daniel Bellinger took a little bit of a hit there. And then we also have the Giants signing Darius. or Yeah, they re-signed Darius Slayton. They signed Paris Kimmel to a one-year $4.7 million deal. And then they signed Jamison Crowder. We still don't know the number on that yet. Now, I'll say Darius Slayton is probably what he was going to be uh, or probably what he was down the stretch last year as just a like fun field stretcher, kind of like a young Robbie Anderson, where it's like that day three guy, field stretcher, never going to be like a wide receiver one in fantasy, but probably, you know, a, a guy that will give you some spike weeks here and there and has a little bit of upside. Now, the the tough part is the slot guys. They are just adding, like Darren Waller is going to be playing big slot for them. And then they have Jamison Crowder. They have Paris Campbell, two slot guys. And then they have two slot guys coming off of an ACL tear in Wandale Robinson and Sterling Shepard. So they have four slot wide receivers, two of them coming back from injury. I don't know what to say. I don't know what the wide receiver room is going to look like. I, I think my guess is they're probably more short-term replacements. I think that they probably see Wandale as like their long-term slot. I don't really love either. If somebody was out there, like you, you had like a Paris Campbell truther in your league, I think now would be a good time to offload him. He's just a roster-clogging wide receiver to me. As a throw-in, you can maybe you know put him in the back end of a deal and see if you can squeeze like a third or something out of it. He wasn't a great prospect. He's never really produced consistently for a full season. He's hurt all the time. He's really just a depth piece on an NFL team, I think. And I guess Jamison Crowder is like a fine flyer. Uh, you know, he's not even 30 yet. He's produced a ton out of the slot, but he also last year wasn't all that involved for the Bills during times where they were, you know, putting Kalosha Kerr in the slot uh, when Isaiah McKenzie uh, was hurt or whatever. I think that Jamison Crowder was a little bit banged up last year as well. So I think they're sort of just throwing quantity at their wide receiver room, right? This is a team that was using Richie James as like a guy in their offense in the playoffs even. So I think that they really just sort of had some sour taste from last year and they just want all of the resources towards wide receiver, a bunch of guys on cheap deals. They'll maybe make cuts in the off season or during training camp or whatever, but they just want to have a, a room of guys that are better than it was last year. They don't want no names off the street. I think that's what this is here. Not overly interested uh, in anybody not named Darius Slayton or Darren Waller in this passing game. I guess Isaiah Hodgins is kind of interesting, but he's making significantly less than like Paris Campbell, probably less than Jamison Crowder at this point. Uh, so tough to tough to assume that they'll get a day three pick like Hodgins involved uh, after just kind of like a six-week stretch last year, although I do like him. 
Uh, after that, we'll talk about two running backs that I think hit the jackpot. These are my two highest owned running backs on the big board on underdog. By the way, if you are not an underdog, make sure you hop on underdog. Use promo code Ron when you hop on there. I'll put a link down below in the description. I'll put a link down below in the comments. You hop on there. They have the big board tournaments, $10 to enter. You can draft rookies. You can draft players. And there's so much room for profit because you're getting players that are moving hands and changing seats. And you have rookies where a lot of these guys hopping in these draft lobbies are more redraft sickles than they are dynasty guys. You can get a lot of value on rookies who aren't going as early as they should be, or you can fade guys who are going too early. There's a lot of value to be gained there. I'm already 33 teams in, and I think I've already made a pretty decent profit on guys like Damian Harris and Rashad Penny. These are two guys, again, 24%, 27% of my drafts, I've had them. And most of those drafts were before they signed with their new teams. And when we talk about Damian Harris, he gets signed by the Bills. I absolutely love it. The only running backs I have on their roster are Naeem Hines and James Cook, both guys who are sub 200 pounds. Now, I find it really funny because I think people's gut reaction is, well, the Bills don't use their running backs on the goal line. They're not really a running team. Here's the issue. Their running backs, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, are like between the tackles guys, are undersized, unathletic, and not very good at football. When we compare what Damian Harris looks like to a Devin Singletary, Damian Harris is bigger, stronger, faster. He's 5'10", 216 pounds instead of 5'7", 203 pounds. He runs a 4'5", instead of a 4'6". He has a 37-inch vertical. He's more explosive than Devin Singletary. He's better in nearly every way, and he's better as a pure rusher. We just saw this with Jalen Hurts. I know a lot of people say, well, Josh Allen's their goal line back. Why would you want the you know power back on the Bills Here's the thing. When you're a good offense, you score more. Jalen Hurts had 13 rushing touchdowns last year. Miles Sanders had 11. And Miles Sanders is an undersized running back. If you're the goal line back on an efficient offense, you will have your scoring opportunities, even if there's a rushing quarterback there. And I think there's also some merit to the fact that Josh Allen is their franchise quarterback. He had the injury last year where it was a throwing thing. But of course, like, they don't want him to get hurt. You saw it down the stretch. Jalen, Hurt, uh, Jalen Hurts got hurt. Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson. Everybody's quarterbacks that were mobile were getting hurt. They're not dying to ram Josh Allen on the goal line every time they get down there. Damian Harris is going to fill in a lot of those spots as a guy who can effectively run between the tackles. He can be good on the goal line. And he's truly one of the better pure runners in the NFL. Now, this is a tweet from Jacob Sanderson. I always quote his stuff. We ran a team together last year. I think he's one of the better followers on Twitter, especially when it comes to running backs. I think that he just really gets it when it comes to running back candidates and buying cheap running backs for zero RB teams. And he talks through here, Damian Harris is in the top quartile and rushes over expected percentage for all three years that he qualified. He's produced between 0.4 and 0.67 rush yards over expectation each of those years. And two out of those three years, he's ranked top 10 in PFF rush grade. He is very good at getting what he has blocked and getting above those expectations as well. He is very, very good at just, you know, seeing what's there and taking it. He is a north and south runner. He is not doing all the dancing that Devin Singletary does. He gets north and south. He's good. He's faster than those guys. He has some breakaway speed. He can get you what is blocked, which is what the Bills need. They have struggled against, or they have struggled to run the ball the last like two years, it feels like, where teams will just drop back, run cover two, dare them to beat them on the ground. And Damian Harris gives them a guy as a really good pure rusher that can do that. So I'm very excited for Damian Harris because even though we like chasing pass catchers, right? I love chasing those pass catchers. Like I'm trying to think through last year, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, a guy who could catch passes. We really liked him last year, but there's also some merit to the grinders on good offenses like Miles Sanders last year, where if we're going to chase a guy who is purely efficient on the ground, doesn't have a 50 plus reception ceiling, he should be on a good offense. And that's what Damian Harris is in. He's on a super high ceiling uh, offense altogether. He's going at just RB40 in Dynasty right now. So I think he's still a great running back target for like zero RB teams. He's still somebody where if you're a contending team and you want to get running back points on the fly for cheap, I think he's a great buy. After that, we have pretty much the same guy uh, in Rashad Penny, who is also a bigger, faster back than Miles Sanders. Maybe not faster, but a bigger back than Miles Sanders, I believe. And Again, I'm fine not having a pass-catching running back. Rashad Penny does not catch passes if they're relatively cheap on a high-powered offense. That's what Rashad Penny is. I think that he's like 
outside the top 36 running backs in Dynasty, and he's one of the best pure rushers in the league. He's going to have a ton of scoring opportunities, pretty much in that Miles Sanders role from last year, but I think he's a better pure rusher than Miles Sanders. He gets efficiency from Jalen Hurts' read options. He gets efficiency from the Eagles' offensive line. This is huge, huge stock up for Rashad Penny, who has a lot of upside. For sure, he could burn out. He could get hurt for like the millionth time, but in that short span of time where he plays, he has difference-making ability at running back for cheap, which is really interesting because I am somebody that likes to load up on the cheaper running backs. I don't want to be buying you know, similar production for RB20 prices. I want to buy somebody for cheap. And again, I'm not all that concerned about a rushing quarterback. I know people get scared about that. It's going to add to their efficiency. Last year, Jalen Hurts saw, I want to say he saw like the second most rushes inside the five, but Miles Sanders saw the fifth most rushes inside the 10-yard line, despite Jalen Hurts there. They were both top five in rushes inside the 10. So there's going to be plenty of those goal line looks to go around. Rashad Penny should be used there, and he is a very strong runner. This is another tweet by Jacob Sanderson. Uh, man, do I not have the Rashad Penny tweet? All right, here it is. And it's really sim similar where Penny had 2.1 rushing yards over expectation per attempt in 2021, which is the highest on record in next-gen stats tracking. He was second in yards created per touch despite being a pass game zero. Yards created per touch, you get, of course, your implied more yards on a reception because you're getting that downfield instead of out of the backfield and he still popped in that he was number one in breakaway run rate he is a very very nice pure rusher and now we insert that into a high-powered offense with a good offensive line he'll benefit from the efficiency that gets created by Jalen Hurts now of course neither of these guys are going to be three down workhorses right you have James Cook you have Naeem Hines you have Kenneth Gainwell on the Eagles passes are going to be vultured Neither of them are going to be three down guys, but they are very good at their role between the tackles. They're in beautiful, beautiful spots for that archetype. And because they're so good at their role, there's really no one in the draft that's a better between the tackles rusher than either of them besides Bijan Robinson. So that's really all you have to skate by, but that's what every running back has to skate by. Bijan Robinson could go literally anywhere besides maybe like five spots. He goes there. He completely nukes whatever running back is already there. That's a risk you're running with pretty much every running back in the NFL. Now, you're even running that risk with a Cowboys running back we'll talk about here, Tony Pollard, who got franchise tagged here today. He signed 10 mil. Really, the only way that I could see Tony Pollard getting absolutely nuked here is Bijan Robinson. The Cowboys could go out there, even though they have $10 million tied up in Tony Pollard, could go out there, draft Bijan Robinson. That is on the table. That is scary. But outside of that, a lot to like with Tony Pollard here. We get Ezekiel Elliott designated for post-June 1st release, which is you, you release them after June 1st because you get some money back. I don't know why, but it's just how it is. Pollard signs the franchise tag, and then the Cowboys also sign Ronald Jones. Now, the Cowboys clearly are a team with Jerry Jones up top sort of calling some shots. They care where and how much money they are spending. And they have recently gone all the way as using Ezekiel Elliott way past what he should have been used the last two years where he's just inefficient and he looks washed up and they still utilized him because of that big contract. They now have $10 million invested in Tony Pollard, one of the higher paid running backs in the NFL. He will be used the way that we hope that he gets used. Now, again, unless they draft Bijan, Pollard will be the lead back. He won't be the lead back in the same way that Ezekiel Elliott was in his prime with like 300 plus touches, but he should flirt with Eckler type usage where he's used a ton in the passing game he's used sparingly between the tackles he's efficient he's scoring a ton of touchdowns I think that that is what it looks like in the context of a good Dallas Cowboys offense now if you wanted to sell Tony Pollard I wouldn't judge you for it this is probably the highest his dynasty value will ever be right everything is coming together Zeke is gone they franchise tagged him. If you want to offload him, fine. For me, I think he's probably a fine hold on contending teams. Like he has a, a ton of upside to give you like a top five finish. I'll probably just hold him on teams where I'm trying to score points. If you're not trying to score points, offload him to a contender. I think that's probably what I would be doing. Now, when we talk about Ronald Jones, Ronald Jones is almost a budget version of the Damian Harris, Rashad Penny archetype where they are players who are pure rushers between the tackle and they're good in that role Ronald Jones is the same way but he hasn't been elite at that 
since 2020. Now, in 2020, he was fourth in rushing yards over expected per attempt. He was sixth in PFF rush grade. He was sixth in yards after contact per attempt. He could very easily be supplanted by a Kendra Miller. I'm trying to think of some of the better pure rushes in this class. Maybe a Zach Evans. There's a lot of downside here. But we're talking about a guy who is literally free on zero RB teams. And they're not going to want to ram Pollard between the tackles 300 times if they don't add another running back. Or they don't add another, you know, pure rushing type running back. Ronald Jones is in a pretty nice role on what should be a, a good offense in 2023 as just a guy who can probably rack up like 800 plus rushing yards and like five plus touchdowns. It, that's assuming they don't add another running back and he takes on a between the tackles role. That's a pretty big if, but he's essentially free. I'm in. I am once again in. Just when I thought I was out, I am back in on Ronald Jones. Again, I am not hunting down teams in my leagues with Ronald Jones and, you know, offering up thirds for him. He is just somebody where I think I would take him for free in redraft leagues, maybe put him in the back end of deals, and certainly not cut on the teams that I already have him on. Now, Ezekiel Elliott is the last part of this backfield that we have to touch on. And he is in a spot here where he's walking on June 1st. But I think he could probably pick a team that he's signing with before that day. He hasn't narrowed down to Eagles, Jets, and Bengals. I want to make it clear, if he goes to the Eagles, it does not change how I feel about Rashad Penny. If anything, I would be way more in because he's getting a discount. Zeke Elliott has not been good. Any team he goes to will not have the same investment that the Cowboys had to feel obligated to put him in as much as the Cowboys did. He would be nothing more than a change of pace back on most teams with good running backs already on those teams. I think he'd just be a nuisance. I think if he ends up on the Bengals, though, I guess that's interesting. If he could be like a goal line hammer for a, a good offense like the Bengals where maybe they don't really get a pure rusher and Zeke can kind of like flirt with like 800 yards and like 10 touchdowns. That's, I guess, in his range of outcomes. I guess it's interesting. I'm not all that excited about it, though. I think this is a really good way to just sort of summarize how, how bad Zeke has been and how far off he's been from Tony Pollard. You see here... 43rd of 48 in rushing yards over expected in 2022. He was 32nd of 52 in 2021. Pollard the last two years has been have been third and fifth. So in the exact same situation, Zeke has been clearly the worst runner. And I'm not trying to hear any of that, you know, like shotgun carries versus like Pollard getting, you know, outside zone carries. I'm not hearing any of it. I saw, I think it was Chris Henry talking with Chris Johnson or whatever uh, on some podcast like months and months ago about it. I'm not buying it. We have two years of that at this point. There is, It's not Pollard getting in more favorable situations. It's just that Pollard is a better running back. Zeke is washed at this point. Now, we are nine pages of notes deep, 42 minutes deep. I still have a lot more to go over, but at this point in the outline, I stopped like using pic a ton of pictures and stuff, and we're just going to go kind of rapid fire here. So we're going to talk through Juju Smith-Schuster going, going from the Chiefs to the Raiders, or the Chiefs to the Patriots, and then Jacoby Myers going from the Patriots to the Raiders. Now, the Juju one, I'm not that excited about. He went from legit the best landing spot possible for him. We knew the target share wasn't going to be crazy for Juju Smith-Schuster last year. Travis Kelsey's there. He hasn't been above a 20% target share since 2018, Juju Smith-Schuster. And the idea was Juju was very good out of the slot. Mahomes will elevate him with efficiency and touchdowns and a really, really good offense. And all we got was 16 games of 11.6 points per game as the wide receiver 35 on 78 catches, 933 yards, and three touchdowns. If he can't push for wide receiver two numbers in the nut landing spot, again, the Chiefs, without a true X number one alpha type wide receiver, I'm just not that all, all that interested in him now going from being the wide receiver 35 in the best possible situation to a pretty mess situation on the Patriots with Mac Jones. You're always going to pay a premium on name value for Juju Smith-Schuster. Everybody knows the kind of prospect he was, the kind of outlook he had after year two. For me, I'm good. Like this is That's essentially name brand Jacoby Myers is what you're paying for. If he couldn't ball with Mahomes, I just don't know that he'll give you anything meaningful with the Patriots. Now, Jacoby Myers from the Patriots to the Raiders is also kind of meh, but I view him pretty much exactly the same as before where he's probably fine. Like he's probably a fine wide receiver three in PPR leagues. Uh, he's one of these lower dot slot uh, possession type guys, which works well with Jimmy G. Jimmy G works well with these lower dot guys like a Debo Samuel, and he will get him the ball. He's more reliable than Mac Jones. It's going to be easy to get him the ball, but 
I think in that range of wide receiver where you have like Jacoby Myers and Judas Schuster again, I would just prefer those Keenan Allen and Tyler Lockett types in that range. I think it's just a lot easier to see those guys giving me meaningful production. Then the next thing I wanted to talk about was the RB musical chairs from Carolina, Detroit, Chicago, New Orleans. We get Jamal Williams going to the Saints. We get David Montgomery going to the Lions, Deonta Foreman going to the Bears, Miles Sanders going to the Panthers. So we have a lot to unpack there. First, let's talk about Jamal Williams to the Saints, which I think is pretty fun. He's like the perfect uh, Latavius Murray type skill set to complement Alvin Kamara. Good between the tackles. Doesn't really take a ton away from Alvin Kamara of the past. I think he probably projects better in Detroit, Jamal Williams, where I think that they liked him a lot more. I think that there's more touchdown upside. I think that they're uh, a little bit more devoted to the run game in Detroit. Probably a better offensive line as well. And the upside, though, is that you're getting the upside that Kamara could get suspended. Kamara gets suspended, you're getting, what, like six games of Jamal Williams as an RB1 in fantasy? That's really interesting. You also have the issue of Kamara under Dennis Allen the last, like, year or two. He's been getting a lot more rushes than he did with Peyton. He was a guy where he would get 15 touches a game and maybe, like, six-plus targets would be a part of those touches. Now it's a lot more sort of like almost like even between targets and carries. They're not even, but slanted towards the passing game. He was almost a workhorse last year where they would give him like 18 plus targets in a couple spots. I think Jamal Williams really takes away from that. And with, you know, Michael Thomas and the emergence of Rashid Shahid and Chris Olave, I should have said Chris Olave first, but you got what I'm saying, Jawan Johnson as well. If Alvin Kamara is not a focal point of the offense, right? He wasn't a focal point of the offense last year, a focal point of the passing offense at least. And if they've used him more as a 18-plus uh, carry guy, bringing in Jamal Williams really hurts Alvin Kamara. So this is concerning for Alvin Kamara to me. I, you can't sell Alvin Kamara anything, but hurts his upside. There's a chance he gets suspended. There's a lot going on with Alvin Kamara, but I do think Jamal Williams for the lack of touchdown upside and the lack of uh, a really strong rushing offense on the Detroit Lions team, I think it gets offset by the upside that Alvin Kamara is suspended or whatever. After that, we have David Montgomery. And I think that his his value jumped on keep trade cut. To me, sort of stayed the same. He goes to the Lions and he's going to be in a similar role where he's splitting work with Swift. I'm assuming that he'll be the between the tackles grinder, the goal line back. Uh, I think that he'll probably even eat more into the pass catching than Swift Troopers, Truthers would like. I would lean sell. I think that he's like RB25 on keep trade cut. To me, he sort of falls into that dead zone running back area. I will say, though, there is definitely massive touchdown upside in this offense. He could, you know, do the Jamal Williams 17 touchdowns. I don't think he will, but 10 plus is probably in his range. 1,000 plus rushing yards is also in his range. So that's interesting. I think the biggest takeaway from them getting David Montgomery, they paid David Montgomery $2 million more than New Orleans paid for Jamal Williams. This is very clearly a team that does not believe in DeAndre Swift. As much as we like DeAndre Swift, they don't believe in him. They don't want DeAndre Swift to be the do-it-all guy. They want him to essentially be a situational pass catcher for them. And that's concerning. Now, I will say, both guys have a lot of upside if the other gets hurt. Detroit was one of the teams last year that had the highest running back usage in the NFL. This is a really cool chart from Hayden Winks where it breaks down. This is just a random four-week sample. I can't remember what week it was from. But you can see here when we look at expected half PPR points based on usage. So that doesn't take into account the crazy amount of touchdowns Jamal Williams had. It's just based on usage, carries, all of that. They use their running backs more than anybody not named the Dallas Cowboys who had Zeke and Pollard. So there is a lot of fantasy resources devoted to this run game. I think both guys in Detroit, Swift and Dave Montgomery, I think it'll be a little bit annoying. I think they'll both be in that like RB2, RB3 mix in season. And if the other goes down, the other becomes a top 12 to 15 running back pretty much instantly. I think I would probably lean sell on both guys in Dynasty though. I, you're betting on a, on a injury either way and both guys are probably too expensive for what they're actually going to give you without the injury if that makes sense. Then we have Deonta Foreman to the Bears, which kind of rains on the Khalil Herbert parade from David Montgomery leaving, right? It was like, oh, Khalil Herbert will have the backfield all to himself. Not really, uh, but it's also not the end of the world. They are both 
Uh, very efficient runners. This is another tweet from Jacob where he shows the only running backs with over three yards after contact per attempt in both 2021 and 2022. You have Ramondre, Pollard, Henry, Chubb, Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, all elite rushers. Then you have Deonta Foreman and Khalil Herbert. Both of these guys are very efficient running backs, both very good running backs, and that gets cranked up even more by Justin Fields being a you know read option, mobile quarterback, scramble quarterback. That cranks everybody up. My guess for how this backfield looks is Herbert is the 1A uh, with much more pass-catching involvement than Deonta Foreman, but I think that they also brought in Travis Homer, so he could just be the main satellite back and eat into Khalil Herbert's receiving upside. So I think you'll see Foreman as the short yardage guy. You'll see Khalil Herbert as the you know kind of do-it-all rusher. And they even had spots last year where they would literally just trade series. They would have David Montgomery do a series. They would have... Uh, Khalil Herbert do a series. There's a chance we see that as well with them just bringing in Travis Homer on on, uh, third down and long situations, which would be not the best. I will say, though, both are pretty cheap. Uh, Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman, I think both are pretty much fine upside bets in fantasy where they could be this year's Miles Sanders, where if Justin Fields gets things humming in this passing game, this rushing offense, you could see a ton of efficiency in this offense and you could see touchdowns going around for one of the two. Then finally, we get Miles Sanders here. He goes to Carolina. If I'm being honest with you, I'm not a massive fan uh, of this move. He becomes RB20 on keep trade cut. He actually sort of uh, increased in his value. And I assume that that's because he was a free agent there for a second. He'll be the featured back in Carolina. I'll say that for now. They could draft somebody. They could easily add a, a pass catching back. They could see Chuba Hubbard as the pass catching back. So... He's probably going to be like an efficient between the tackles guy for the Panthers. And the issue is that he benefited a lot this year from efficiency on the Eagles, from Jalen Hurts, the offensive line, get a career high, 11 touchdowns when before that his previous high was six. So it's just really tough. It's really tough because now you're going to Carolina. Teams could load the box against a rookie quarterback and bad wide receiver weapons or just bad uh, receiving weapons across the board. So you get in a tough spot here where all that efficiency, all of those touchdowns that really boosted Miles Sanders last year aren't really there, and you're paying a higher price than you were going into last year. So if I could cash out on him, I would. I love a deal like this. Again, keep trade cut is not perfect, but I would love, if I have a Miles Sanders, I want to tear down into the Damian Harris, Rashad Penny area. Uh, If you want to go into the wide receiver market, if you can do a similar deal to this, but with Brandon Cooks or Tyler Lockett instead, Michael Thomas as well. I would do that. I think a, a really nice way of doing that is, you know, you move off of Miles Sanders, you replace that production, you get a second as juice on top. Maybe you send a fourth or third to sweeten it up uh, on the way back. That's the way that I would sort of approach it. Now, we also have DJ Moore to the Bears. That was a really, really long time ago, but I wanted to touch on it just ever so slightly. I feel about the same uh, with DJ Moore. He is one of those guys, perennial wide receiver two type. He goes from a bad offense to a run first offense. It's not ideal either way. There is, again, I wouldn't bet on the progression of Justin Fields becoming a Jalen Hurts-level passer, but the upside is there. But he could also just be expensive 2022 Darnell Mooney where he's just a massive, massive disappointment. So a lot of upside, a lot of downside with DJ Moore. I'm not buying to go. I'm not dying to go and buy him. If somebody wants to buy him off of me for top 20 wide receiver prices, the, the same prices that he was going for uh, while he was in Carolina, I'd probably be willing to sell there. Uh, now the last two things we're going to go over is the zero RB trash bin and the quarterback trash bin. Zero RB trash bin. I just want to go over like really low level running back signings. We have Mostert and Jeff Wilson staying in Miami. They probably add a running back, but these guys both had stretches last year where they were usable in fantasy. And I'm fine having a really cheap piece of that Dolphins offense. I trust Mike McDaniel. He had the offense humming last year. Both of those guys, if you have them hanging around your dynasty team, should be great, like zero RB guys where they'll have their weeks. Uh, Dearness Johnson is a guy who's similar to a Ronald Jones, to a Damian, uh, you know, a lesser version of Damian Harris and Rashad Penny, where he's a good pure rusher. In 2021, he was number one in PFF rush grade. He was fourth in yards after contact per attempt, fourth in elusiveness rating, second in rushing yards over expected per attempt, and then he just wasn't used last year. He goes to the Jaguars here. It's probably a nice handcuff to Travis Etienne. I would assume that if Etienne goes down, you'll see Hasty get the pass-catching work, and you'll see Dearness Johnson get the between-the-tackle stuff, which is interesting because this should be a good offense with Trevor Lawrence. I think that's worth a stash. Then you have Samaj P. Ryan. He goes from the Bengals 
to the Broncos. The Broncos were running out like Latavius Murray last year. Javante's ACL injury sounds absolutely brutal. It sounds like J.K. Dobbins' injury where it's like not just the knee, but it's the MCL, it's the ACL, it's the hip, it's a billion different things. And if that lingers and he's not out there or he's not out there 100% through the first, you know, four, six, eight, ten weeks, Samaj P. Ryan is very, very capable in kind of a, you know, RB1 type role. And he can give you like top 24 production until Javante Williams is back and healthy. I think he's a great value in all formats. And then we have James Robinson, who I like, I want to bet against James Robinson because he played for my Jets last year. He was scratched. I don't know why that came out weird, but he was scratched down the stretch last year for Zonovan Knight. The Jets go out and trade for him and then they healthy scratch him for Zonovan Knight, day three guy who was on the practice squad like a couple weeks before that. And that's because he was just absolutely dust after the Achilles tear. He came out strong last year, and then just everything was gone. But I'm willing to bet on that bounce back. We saw with Cam Akers down the stretch last year. We saw Deonta Foreman these last two years off the Achilles. Maybe there's something to having more than just one year to recover. He's RB64 in Dynasty. That's essentially free. I'm not trading for him, but I think he's like a decent throw-in. It's always been the mantra with these Patriots running backs to just get the cheapest one. I like Ramondre Stevenson, but you know, in years past with like James White and I'm trying to think of the other guys like Deion Lewis and uh, does Mike Gillisley count and Rex Burkhead and like all of these names, uh, like Garrett Blunt, you know what I mean? They run the ball a lot. They're like the Lions. They're like the 49ers where they devote a lot of fantasy points to their running game. I'm down to have a piece. I don't think that they see Pierre Strong as the same between the tackles runner as a James Robinson. And I don't think that they're all the way sold on Kevin Harris, even though I liked Kevin Harris coming out. So I think that he's fine. That's really all I'll say. He's fine. I think he's a fine, you know, zero RB type guy, uh, James Robinson. Then the quarterback trash bin, Gardner Minshew to the Colts. I guess that's fun. Uh, you know, nothing really going on there. I think that he'll start some games, which is interesting if you have him, uh, because they could get a you know, project quarterback like an Anthony Richardson, like a uh, Will Levis or whatever, or there's some reports that they'll trade back and take Hendon Hooker. So he could start, you know, six, 10 games, kind of like Jacoby Brissett last year. So I think that's interesting. Uh, you get Baker Mayfield to Tampa. Maybe we see him have a Jameis-like year where he, you know, he threw 25 touchdowns or whatever as a, as a uh, rookie in the NFL. Maybe he revives that. I would bet against it. Uh, he'll be in the quarterback two mix like he always is. I think the bigger news here with Baker Mayfield and Tampa is this is a pretty big negative for Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. We saw last year how bad uh, Baker Mayfield was for DJ Moore. We saw how bad he was for Odell Beckham. I actually think that was a really bad narrative that Baker was like bad for his receivers, but he is somebody who holds the ball a really long time in the pocket. He improvises very often. He is looking past his first read and trying to improvise something out of structure, which means you're passing up on giving targets to your number one options in Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. So it really thins out the target shares. And then on top of that, you're not getting good efficiency from Baker Mayfield. And on top of that, Evans and Chris Godwin, the last like two, three years have been guys with lower target shares, bigger efficiencies, and then also the team passing volume element from having, you know, like 650 plus pass attempts. So those should come down. The efficiency should come down with Baker from Brady to Baker. It gets pretty ugly with those guys. Uh, and then we have the last thing I'll talk about with quarterbacks, Jameis Winston staying in New Orleans. Kind of a bummer. Like, I think he's a better quarterback than Minshew. I think he's a better quarterback than Baker. I think Jameis Winston gets, deserves a shot to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, I was even saying, like, if the Jets couldn't get uh, Aaron Rodgers, I would have been down to, to like, maybe draft Anthony Richardson and, and let uh, Jameis, and, uh, Jameis Winston kind of be our, our bridge quarterback. So it's a bummer. Another year until we get Jameis Winston being a starting quarterback in the NFL. Hope that things work out for him. But just wanted to say, you know, it's a bummer that he isn't starting somewhere because I think that he is good enough. Uh, you know, he kind of invites chaos in his game. I think that you sort of want that. I don't think that having the, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo type, you know, timid uh, game managers are going to get you anywhere. You're paying them. I think that Jamison, I think, I don't know why I keep saying Jamison, but I think Jamison Winston is like, I think he's getting like four mil on a one-year deal. So I think it's pretty crazy that somebody is not like, you know what, let's get him treat it like a rookie contract, juice up everywhere else, and just say, hey, Jameis, you know, you're going to throw a bunch of picks, throw 15-plus picks, but also let's get 30-plus touchdowns. Let's bet on our defense. I don't know. 
but I'm also not a GM. Now that's going to do it for us today. That is an almost an hour long video, probably one of the longest videos on the channel, but I had a lot to get off my chest today. Uh, if you made it this far, please leave a like subscribe, all of that good stuff. I maybe should have live streamed this so I could have interacted with you guys the whole time, but I wrote an outline, ended up being way longer than I thought it was going to be. I hope you guys enjoy. If you made it this far, let me know down below in the comments. Tell me that you made it this far, you enjoy, you know, give me something nice, okay? Because I, I put a lot of effort into this video. Um, I've been recording here for a while. Regardless, I love you guys. We're going to be back on our grinds here in a second. Uh, I'm going to be planning out all of my videos from like here through the NFL draft. I think I'll be doing that uh, on like Monday or Tuesday of next week. And then we're going to get really humming here. Uh, to get you guys prepared for rookie drafts, the NFL draft, all of that good stuff. So I, I felt like it was necessary to sort of touch on all of the moves that I've kind of neglected here uh, since free agency has started. So I hope you guys enjoyed. And as always, I'll see y'all in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Ten on. Foolies glad I'm home. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag up on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena for misdemeanor.